0: Hello everyone and welcome to South Asia Sphere, Himal's fortnightly podcast on all things South Asia, where we bring you a roundup of five big stories in the region and speak to an expert for a deep dive into a major issue affecting South Asia. We are your hosts, Raisa and Ritika, and in this episode, we'll be speaking to Najibullah Sadid on the recent Herat earthquake, but first, a roundup of the five big stories in the region. This news roundup was recorded on 20 October and covers the news from 9th to 20th October.
1: On the 12th of October, The Financial Times released an investigation supporting long-standing allegations that the Adani Group had imported billions of dollars worth of coal into India at inflated prices. Now, this resulted in higher electricity costs which were imposed on consumers. The Adani Group has said that the story is based on old baseless allegations. India's Directorate of Revenue Intelligence first opened an investigation in 2014, but the case remained unresolved. recently, India's Ministry of Corporate Affairs also opened an investigation into the accounts of two Mumbai airports, which were acquired by Adani Enterprises in 2022. On the 18th of October, the Securities and Exchange Board of India approached the Organized Crime and Corruption Reporting Project, asking the Investigative Reporters Network for key documents ahead of the Adani Hindenburg case being heard in Supreme Court. The OCCRP refused to comply and they directed SEBI to its most recent reporting. Now, these reports revealed that millions of dollars were funneled to the company through these shadow investment funds, which were based in Mauritius. And these were later traced back to people with close ties to the Adani family. Reporters have also repeatedly highlighted the nexus between Adani's leadership and Indian Prime Minister Narendra Modi. They've raised concerns about whether there will be any accountability for the revelations made in recent weeks.
0: On 17 October, Pakistan's Interior Ministry set up a committee to probe the issuance of fake passports to Afghan nationals. The announcement came days after over 12,000 false Pakistani passports were seized from Afghans in Saudi Arabia. Now, this crackdown is especially significant because on 3rd October, the Pakistan government issued an order asking all foreigners living in the country without a legal status to leave within 28 days or just face deportation. This order is expected to impact around 1.7 million Afghans living in Pakistan. And in the run-up to the deadline, Afghan refugees have faced heightened harassment, assault and arbitrary detention at the hands of Pakistan police. Pakistani officials have attributed increased militant attacks in recent times to quote-unquote illegal migrants and have said that they would offer rewards for information leading to arrests of refugees past the 1st November deadline. Now, rights groups have condemned the order which could lead to refugees being deported back to Taliban-controlled Afghanistan.
1: On the 16th of October, the rights activists Adilur Rahman Khan and ASM Naziruddin Elan were released on bail in Bangladesh after being detained for just over a month in connection to a cybercrime case. Khan is the founder secretary of Odhikar, a human rights organization documenting thousands of killings and enforced disappearances in Bangladesh, while Elan is a director of the organization. Now These arrests were made in connection with a 2013 fact-finding report from Odhikar, which said 61 people had been killed by security forces during a protest led by the Far Islamic group Hezafat e Islam, figures which were contested by government officials. Both Khan and Ilan were found guilty by Dhaka's cyber tribunal on the 14th of September 2023, and they each received a two year sentence as well as a fine of 10,000 Bangladesh Takas. Khan and Ilan said that they are appealing their sentences. Khan also told Voice of America that he and Ilan were victims of judicial injustice.
0: Across the border in China, it has replaced the name Tibet with Qi Zhang in official diplomatic documents using a romanized form of the Chinese name for the region. The Chinese Communist Party said, that the move aimed to legitimize Chinese administration of Tibet and prevent the Dalai Lama and the Central Tibetan Administration from speaking about Tibet. The CCP also pointed out that Tibet is often used to refer to areas in Qinghai, Sichuan, Gansu and Yunnan provinces which is consistent with the Greater Tibet which is defined by the 14th Dalai Lama. As such, Chinese experts said that the name Tibet was quote-unquote geographically misleading. Tibetan scholars spoke out against the move, saying that it is politically driven. Dawa Sereng, the director of the Tibet Policy Institute, told Radio Free Asia that apart from asserting sovereignty over the region, China was adopting divide-and-rule tactics for Tibet. At least one Chinese e-commerce service provider, Vaidian, has advised its vendors to replace Tibet with Shizang on translations of products, names, and descriptions.
1: India's Supreme Court declined to grant legal recognition to same-sex marriage, saying it was up to Parliament to legislate on the issue. In a split 3-2 decision, a five-judge bench also declined to provide constitutional protection for civil unions or adoption rights for same-sex couples. This decision is a setback to the country's LGBTIQ community, which was hoping for a change in the present laws. As many as 21 petitions were heard in April and May from same-sex couples who said that they felt like second-class citizens as they were not allowed to marry. There was a silver lining as the Supreme Court said India's states have the power to draft legislation on same-sex marriage in the absence of a central law. However, some queer rights activists expressed skepticism that this would offer any hope as states like Rajasthan, Assam and Andhra Pradesh have already expressed opposition to passing such legislation, while several other states have asked for more time to consider the issue as it is a sensitive topic. On the 6th of October, two lower courts in Nepal also did not grant legal recognition to a same-sex marriage in defiance of a recent interim order from the Supreme Court to register same-sex marriages while related legal amendments hang in the balance.
0: Repatriation efforts are ongoing to rescue South Asian citizens stranded amid the ongoing violence in Israel and Gaza. On 17 October, the Embassy of Nepal and Israel confirmed that 18 Nepalis had been repatriated from Israel with the help of the Indian government. While prior to this, 254 Nepalis were moved from several high-risk areas to Tel Aviv and eventually to Kathmandu. 10 Nepalis were killed in an attack on southern Israel by Hamas on seventh of October, the Kathmandu Post reported. On the other hand, at least two Sri Lankans were reported missing amid the violence, with at least one later confirmed dead. A further of 27 Sri Lankans living in northern Gaza are reportedly heading to the south of the territory after orders from Israel to evacuate ahead of a planned ground offensive by the Israeli military. The representative office of Sri Lanka in Palestine is assisting Sri Lankans to safely travel to Egypt along with other evacuees. India's Ministry of External Affairs estimated that four Indians were in Gaza with a further 12 in the West Bank. Five flights have been chartered by India to repatriate Indian nationals from Israel.
1: At least 29 people, including children, were killed and over 50 people injured in an airstrike on the Mong Lai Ket camp for internally displaced people in Myanmar's Kachin state on the 9th of October. The camp is kilometers away from the headquarters of the Kachin Independence Army, an armed force battling the country's junta government, and not far from the Chinese border. Ong Myo Min. The human rights minister of the National Unity Government, which opposes the junta from exile, condemned the attack as a war crime. The strike is being described as one of the deadliest attacks in the 63 year long conflict in Kachin State. Military officials have scaled up the violence in Kachin amid growing support for the armed groups battling the military junta. The military denied responsibility for the attack, claiming that the explosion took place where the Kachin Independence Army stored ammonium nitrate. However, Amnesty International quoted eyewitnesses who reported a large bomb exploding near the camp, followed by sustained mortar fire from near-military positions.
0: Well, now for a little good news from the region. An old sea route between Nagapattinam in Tamil Nadu and Kanke in Jaffna Peninsula has been reopened after a lapse of 40 years. A passenger ferry service was inaugurated on 14th October in a bid to boost tourism and improve bilateral ties between India and Sri Lanka, as well as to benefit local traders. Previously, the Indo-Salon Express ran between Chennai and Colombo from the 1900s up until 1982 and passengers could also take a train from Chennai and then a steam ferry from Nanushkori to Talai Manar in Sri Lanka. These services were halted in the 1980s as Sri Lanka's civil war escalated. There have been several attempts to resume services from Rameshwaram to Talai Manar and from Karaikkal to Kankesanthurai, with little success due to poor response and lack of commercial viability. Port officials have already said that the relatively high ticket prices, monsoon rain and poor ticketing systems continue to post challenges with the service now only available on alternate days
1: that's it for the news roundup if you're enjoying this podcast please consider supporting himal by becoming a member we are a fully independent non-profit media organization and we rely on listeners like you to sustain and grow our work you can see our membership plans at www.himalmag.com slash membership and we've included a link to our membership page in the episode notes
0: And now it's time for our deep dive, where we bring in experts, reporters, authors and field specialists to talk about the important and unseen layers of a big story.
1: And today we have with us Najibullah Satid. Najibullah's expertise lies in the field of water resources and the environment. He's a research associate at the University of Stuttgart and a research consultant at the Afghanistan Research and Evaluation Unit as well as a research assistant at the BAW, the Federal Institute for Hydraulic Engineering. Two
2: more earthquakes have struck Afghanistan this morning bringing it to a total of seven earthquakes and multiple aftershocks over the past eight days.
1: In the 6.3 magnitude earthquake, six villages were destroyed and hundreds of civilians buried under the debris.
2: I hardly believe that the photos are not able to describe the horrible situation in Germany. It's beyond control, it's beyond the abilities of the government and the national society and the people.
1: It's one of the deadliest earthquakes to strike the country in two decades. On the 15th of October, a 6.3 magnitude earthquake hit western Afghanistan, the third such earthquake in the space of a week. The tremors have already led to around 1,000 deaths in total and have flattened entire villages near Herat, with rescuers using shovels and their bare hands to rescue people. The disaster comes months before the winter in Afghanistan, and the country has also been impacted by an economic crisis after the Taliban seized power in 2021. Here to speak with us about this is Najibullah. Hello, and thank you for being with us today.
2: Thank you, Raisa, for having me.
1: So could you begin by giving us a rough assessment of the extent of the damage in Herat? I believe there's been some satellite-derived damage assessments released already?
2: Yes, exactly. There was a pre- and post-satellite imageries available for this uh, incident. And based on that assessment, basically, the communities that were affected uh, were uh, identified. The results show that 123 aff- uh, settlements were affected. Among them, 92 were moderately affected and 10 were severely affected. And 21 were almost destroyed. So this was basically after the first earthquake that happened on 7th October. According to these settlements, um, the the official data shows that 2,053 people died or were killed by this uh, earthquake. And after that, of course, we had three other shocks. But since people were um, basically staying outside their homes in open areas, the damages or the, the, the casualties were much lower. The last incident that happened or the last main shock that happened on 15th October had only um, one uh, person killed. So uh, you see that uh, as the people are leaving their homes, staying in open areas, the damage or the casualties also drastically reduced. But in general, so to say uh, 43,350 people were affected and uh, not to forget that those are the villages and the districts uh, in remote areas of Herat province in the northwest of the, the country but there are also people affected uh, inside the Herat city. You see that a lot of people are needing tents and and other uh, food and and warm blankets, for example, to because they are staying in fear of uh, more shocks. They are they are staying outside in open areas. So, but beside. The casualties, the impacts that the, pe- the people were uh, affected uh, there, uh, unfortunately, also damages to the historical uh, buildings and monuments in Herat. For example, Qalaik Tiyarudin is really an old and ancient uh, historic building. There's recent images circulating on, on social media showing that not only Qalaik Tiyarudin, but also Masjid Jomeh, which is a uh, Timurid mosque in Herat city, is also damaged. Even the recently built uh, concrete buildings are damaged in Herat city.
1: Thank you for that, Najibullah. And yes, those are quite uh, staggering figures, over 43,000 affected, and clearly there is quite urgent needs as well for people on the ground. How prepared would you say that that region in Herat and the surrounding areas, how prepared was it to respond to the aftermath of the earthquake? And um, was um, rescue efforts impacted by accessibility?
2: Unfortunately, the preparedness was very poor. You see that videos uh, on, on Afghan local TVs um, that people are basically uh, doing the rescue job themselves with bare hands and shovels. And uh, there was no rescue team on site at the first, first earthquake happened. You know, the first hours after the earthquake are very critical. You have to be on site. You have to be professional. You have to have equipments. You have to have the system, but that was not in place. And that uh, basically led to this high casualty that they could have been saved when there was a rescue team on on site. There was uh, rescue teams, only two, as far as I know, rescue teams from Iran and Turkey, but it was already late. Uh, They may have removed some bodies of those already died uh, under the rebels. But unfortunately, we see that uh, at the first hours, we lost a lot of people. And there was a woman on local Afghan TV saying that uh, she was able to to save only three of his uh, grandsons, but three others he could not save. She, they died. Uh, that's this very unfortunate situation. You
1: also mentioned that there have been several earthquakes in the region. So is Herat an area that frequently sees earthquakes? And why is that?
2: So seismologically Herat is lying on the on fault which is called Harirut fault. Uh, Afghanistan is ba- basically has uh, three main faults but one one of the main is Herat. So it is not unusual that we have earthquakes on her in Herat or nearby the, the main faults. But there are several other small faults that, that are buried under the thick layer of, of uh, sediment. So there are small faults not reported, not studied. So these faults uh, may have caused earthquakes. There has been uh, f- so far four shocks. So these shocks, uh, according to seismologists uh, who have studied, they say that it's quite rare that we have four earthquakes in sequence. There has been uh, some sequence uh, earthquakes, like in ni- 2019, there was a four sequence earthquakes in Mindanao in, Philipp- in the Philippines, and there was a three sequence earthquakes um, in-, in Iran with the same, more or less, in the same area or under the same condition, probably the same fault. But some um, experts say that when one fault or one rupture happens or one slip happens, then of course this can lead to, or potentially can lead to the uh, activation of or triggering of another fault and causing another earthquake. And that may cause another earthquake. So there could be some sequence or sort to say, some cascade of earthquakes in this region, but these are all early assessments. There must be some detailed study in order to, to dig more deeper into the causes of, of uh, these four earthquakes, because they are not very common. They are rare, as I said. We had only one incident in 2019 in the Philippines.
1: And you've also spoken um, online a little bit about how the earthquake is also already causing shifts in the landscape with the surfacing of groundwater. So how do you think these shifts might impact the surrounding terrain in Herat in the long term?
2: Yes, there has been some shifts. Uh, there has been uh, studies on on, uh, on how the earthquake has changed the land surface in terms of elevation uh, using satellite imageries. Um, for example, the University of Leeds has has recently studied that, and it shows that uh, some parts of the area has an uplift of uh, maximum 30 centimeter, and there were some areas which have uh, declined in terms of elevation as, as much as 13 centimeters. So there is some changes on the on the land surface in terms of elevation, which is, of course, quite usual when there, there, there is an earthquake happening. But there were also cracks uh, appearing on the surface. We see that cracks uh, orienting or directing east-west which is quite uh, agreeing with the way with the earthquakes happened. And what else we see that there are some areas in Asiabat near the epicenter of the earthquakes uh, that we have uh, springs or, so to say, groundwater emerging on the or exfiltrating on the surface. And these are the uh, basically moving dry river into the into a normal river, but the the amount of discharge of these rivers are not not so big that would cause a flood or 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 in data mm-hmm. village. So this is an old uh, dry river that now has has water from from the earthquake, but this is this is not unusual. I mean, earthquakes may open some cracks and when the groundwater is under pressure they may emerge on the surface so this is mm-hmm. this is happening also um, in other areas for example the last earthquake in turkey also uh, had some experiences of groundwater overflowing onto the surface
1: and coming back to the needs of the people um you know this is also significant because it's coming just ahead of the winter months which uh, can be difficult in afghanistan and What were the kind of humanitarian issues that needed to be addressed even before the earthquake?
2: Well, in a a country, in a normal country or a normal situation, there should have been rescue teams on site there should have been volunteers on site, that they could have reached uh, the site very quickly and they could have done the, the life-saving mission. So that was failing or, or that was missing in Afghanistan. And this is the lesson here that we have to invest in, in this direction because earthquakes are not very unusual in Afghanistan. We ha- it happens often in, in parts of the country. But the other issue is here with the response that after the earthquakes, we see that there are some responses uh, by the international organizations who are based in afghanistan they are basically um, supplying people with tents with medical uh, equipments uh, with uh, food uh, shelter um, but what is now required because winter is approaching with tents they cannot survive in the winter because winter north afghanistan is becoming very cold even nowadays which which is not winter uh, we have near zero temperatures during the night so we would have, according to, uh, to forecast, by next week, we will have precipitation and rainfalls there. So that would certainly make the life uh, tougher for, for the people in this region. What is needed at the moment is that th- these people should be somehow relocated uh, to, to the other regions or to um, temporary shelters, such as gymnasiums, sports gymnasiums can be used for, for this purposes, for example. But the other issue is that the, the, the rebuilding of their homes the, the, this should be speed up because we don't have time. Only three months is left before the harsh winter is coming. And, and we we know that it's coming earlier. Even we, we may have only two months for the winter.
1: And what about uh, in terms of food security? You know, before these earthquakes, were people prepared for the winter months or what was the situation in terms of that?
2: You know, Afghanistan is basically impacted by what happens in the Pacific Ocean. You know, we had La Nina. This was the third year of La Nina. And when there is La Nina, Afghanistan is hitting by by a drought. And we had severe drought in northwest of the uh, country where now the earthquake has happened. So the region was really suffering from this third year, third consecutive years of drought. And now, uh, adding to that, this disaster, this was really, really tough for the people. The people were already in dire condition, needing help, needing food. And we know that for the last two years, there was uh, uh, campaigns by international community in distributing uh, emergency uh, help and assistance, such as food and, and, and some some other supplies. But the, for the third year, we know that the aid uh, or the international community drastically reduced their contribution to the budgets of Afghanistan when it came to the to the emergency response or emergency um, such as aid, food distribution and, and other supplies. So the region was already in dire condition and the, the earthquake made it worse for them and now basically as i said their agriculture their main their main source of income was impacted and the situation now of course after the earthquake is much much worse compared to the to the normal year in afghanistan generally 33% of gdp is coming from agriculture so if the agriculture sector is uh, impacted by a drought then the whole uh, gross economy of the country is impacted and this is uh, what we see in northwest Afghanistan, not only Herat, where it's impacted, but also nearby provinces such as Badghis, Farah, Zabol, but also um, uh, further north, Faryab, even up to Balfe provinces, the, the droughts were very severe. You were
1: also talking about aid, um, including earlier on as well. How have the sanctions that have been imposed impacted the aid received in the
2: aftermath of the earthquakes, if at all? So I see at the beginning, it seemed that everything was very fluent and um, people received some aid, but the concentration was only on the settlements that were damaged, not on Herat city. But after the third and fourth earthquake, Herat city was also impacted. population of Herat city is over 700,000 people. Most of them are living in open areas, and now the, you have to have to respond to, to a large uh, number of people in terms of uh, aid, in terms of providing temporary shelters, the uh, the first assistance on the undamaged villages were quite good because the, the number of population was not a lot uh, in, in these small districts and settlements where the epicenter of the earthquake was locating. But now uh, we see that the, it's not very, very easy because the Taliban government, they said that the private uh, fundraising campaigns uh, in, in Afghanistan, but also outside Afghanistan, they cannot directly reach out to the people. They have to channel their help through us. And this is making things worse because it's not possible to manage all these things in a very short period of time. You see a number of people across the world, but also inside Afghanistan, are collecting money, fundraising and to help those affected. But when you channel them, now you have to do a lot of paperworks. You have to go, uh, go through some steps, and that means that you need more time. And that will, this paperwork and this red tape, of course, will not facilitate the rapid response that the people are requiring. So that's why I am hearing from the people in Herat that people uh, in Herat city themselves, they are needing um, tents and shelters because they are, they are staying in open areas. But they are not receiving it. They say that even in Herat city, the, the price of tents are tripled, and they even they cannot find tents in, in the market. So they are buying it from nearby provinces. And even in the nearby provinces, you cannot find tents uh, for, for the people. So this situation has to change. And I think the, there is a potential that international organizations somehow intervene and facilitate the, the, the response that the people are voluntarily wanting to to help.
1: And let's also talk about the economic situation in the country. Um, You've spoken about how economically Afghanistan had kind of reached a fragile state of equilibrium. Can you speak more about that and also about what the
2: economic pressures are that Afghans are continuing to face? Yes, as I mentioned before, Afghanistan was very aid dependent in the last two decades. So the sector which was majority of Afghans were getting their incomes from, it was agriculture. And as I said, more than 60% of people are are earning their their bread from agriculture and 33% of GDP is coming from agriculture. So this sector was largely ignored. And now you see that if you if the aid is basically cutting or reducing after the regime change in Afghanistan, people become more reliant on what they can earn, and that's agriculture. And when agriculture is impacted by climate change, and as I mentioned, the droughts, then of course the the economy is even more dependent on on the foreign aid. Luckily, in the last two years, there was some aid and the aid was not fully cut or fully reduced to to the Afghan people but now this year the third year we see a strong reduction in aid i don't have the numbers but the international organization says that they have not reached the target budget for for addressing the humanitarian crisis in afghanistan and they will not be able to deliver to those vulnerable communities in afghanistan and if the economy is largely dependent on agriculture and you don't have agriculture or your agriculture sector is impacted. Of course, the the income of the people are now much lower compared to the past two years. And you see that a lot of people are jobless. I, I hear uh, news from the villages that the younger generation are leaving the country because of the dire economic situation in the country. Joblessness is everywhere. Even in Kabul city, you see People are jobless, people are leaving the country. A lot of educated people who have, in the last 20 years, who have earned degrees abroad, who who are the bright brain of the country, are now hopeless and they are leaving the country. Thank you for
1: that, uh, Najibullah. And uh, one last question for, you know, the benefit of our listeners as well. Is there a book or a podcast or a show you can recommend to our listeners who want to learn more about afghanistan's landscape or natural disasters or just about the
2: situation in afghanistan yes there are plenty of, of books podcasts for example the natural resources in afghanistan geographic and geologic perspective on centuries of conflict by john f schroeder this is this is one book i i recommend there is recently a podcast on on the recent earthquakes with uh, Science in action from twelfth of October, the BBC World Service uh, that that's uh, really interesting and and talking about the details of the of the earthquake. But there are also uh, a natural disaster dashboard supported by the United Nation where all the natural disasters are recorded with details. This is also available on ReliefWeb International. So I recommend to get more information on Afghanistan and the vulnerability of communities in Afghanistan, natural disasters and and climate change and as a whole in the geographic and landscape of Afghanistan. Thank you so
1: much for um, coming on the podcast and unpacking all of this for us, Najibullah.
2: Thank you very much for having me. I hope the information that I provided was beneficial to those who are interested in Afghanistan uh, situation and also on the uh, recent earthquakes that that hit Afghanistan. Thank you very much.
1: Thanks for tuning in to this episode. If you want to help us bring you more updates and stories, you can sign up for membership at www.himalmag.com slash membership. We've got a range of membership plans for you to choose from. You'll get access to our archival newsletter, specially curated for you, and even Himal's iconic right-side-up map with its startling new perspective on South Asia. And if you don't want to miss out on future episodes of South Asia Sphere, head to the link in our notes to sign up for our newsletter, which will bring you the updates right to your mailboxes every fortnight follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, or wherever it is that you like to listen to your favorite podcasts. If you have any questions, suggestions, or feedback for the current format of South Asia Sphere, or just want to talk about how we can make it more accessible for you, don't forget to head to the link in our episode notes. We'd love to hear from you. And that's it for today and for this episode. See you next time.